This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show. We're broadcasting tonight from Sydney, and I'd like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We are reporting tonight about how traditional owners from the Northern Territory came down to Sydney's Angel Place, and it was the AGM of Origin Energy. Hello, my name is Bradley Farah. I'm Aloha man. My Aboriginal name is Gargan. I came from a little community up north, Minyeri, Salawa country. Because my people, they won't leave their land. They're still living out in the bush. They don't live in the house. They live on the land. They sleep, sleep out in the bush with tent. And they always go out on hunting. They love their land. We want fracking on our land, we want to protect our water, our animals, and for our future. And we want everybody to do the same. Stand behind us as one. Fracking for shale gas has never been undertaken at a commercial scale in Australia. Opening up the Beetaloo Gas Basin would drive up carbon emissions. It would undermine investment in renewable energy and storage and other firming power. The companies who are proposing to frack this Beetaloo Basin are experimenting with the lives of people living in remote areas and hoping that we in the eastern states and gas customers, that we won't catch on. We fought and we won against Muckety and all the nuclear waste dump sites in the Territory by building these alliances with traditional owners and communities, unions, health professionals, students who we know are mobilising in tens of thousands of numbers across all the cities. We need people who care, people who organise. This is a front line for climate action and Beyond Zero Emissions has already published a detailed alternative this year called Repowering the Northern Territory. You should read it. It's the 10 gigawatt vision how renewable energy can power jobs and investment in the Northern Territory. We've done a few shows on this and you can find that at Beyond Zero Emissions uh, website. But first tonight we'll hear from people from the Beetaloo Basin and the Northern Territory. The first speaker is Ray Dimaguri dixon followed by Bradley Farrer. I'm in Sydney and I've met one of the people who actually live at Beetaloo Basin area. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us your story? Yeah, my name Ray Dimagari Dixon. I'm a Mutpura man and I'm further, I'm further, um, a little bit south from where, where, the, where the fracking is taking place. But I'm speaking for water and where, we, where, where we're located is the water going to stream down and we're going to get infected. My country and my, my environment from where, where I am and my, my, my future, my grandchildren's future, everyone's future. Origin didn't do any strong concentration, talking to the key people of that area, strong talk for our, for our, for our land, because they're, they're, they're known that the fracking is, is, is really bad. 
and it's, it's really it's really terrible and my people right now they're they're really really shocked and they they're really scared they don't know what to do yeah that's the problem for melbourne listeners they wonder what they can do also because you're very remote there and you know in New South Wales, people can get a 100,000 people crowd. You know, if there's something wrong up in um, Pilliga, for example, we can get a large number of people to protest. But where you are, it's so remote. And it's remote, yeah. what, what help do you have from, um, like, getting people together? Or how do you organise? We, we work along with, with Lock the Gate and, and we joined up with them and we, we, work, we work really closely with them and, and we make a movement from different, different community. Finding, finding strong, strong voices there, and we get together. Even small little group, we still make, we still make a noise, and we, just, 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 just showing government that we don't want fracking in our country, and we, we don't want, we don't want our water to get contaminated and be poisoned. That's all we, we're asking for. We, we, we're asking for more support, more our, our brothers, black and white. Come, 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 come together and, and help us, help us stand together and, and tell this government we don't need fracking. Northern Territory is a is a beautiful country, beautiful place. Everybody loves Northern Territory. The tourists, they, they, it's a beautiful country. I've looked at the map and nearly all of it seems to be under license to some sort of gas or petroleum. And I know there's petrol under there as well. And they had a moratorium on fracking, but then they reversed it. Do you want us to protest straight to the Northern Territory government and say, reimpose that um, moratorium? Or what's the best way? I think the best way is to, 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 to get that moratorium again. And, 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 and like you said, I think we should, we, we should, we should fight for that and, and, and really... We really take it from there. Yeah, I agree with you. Going to be mown down by protesters now. Thank you very much. native title holders and traditional owners from the Northern Territory, which says to this company, which has so far refused any documentation that shows what they told traditional owners at the time these agreements were formed, as far back as 2003 and 2004. This company sitting in there refuses to show the world what they told traditional owners about the risks of fracking and the scale of gas fields when they made these agreements, and we think they have something to hide for good reason. So today our resolution asks Origin Energy to be upfront, to be open and transparent as a company and to show shareholders, to show members of the company and to show the general public exactly what they did to make these agreements. We understand this company doesn't have informed consent for the activities they plan for Jinglu, Alawa and Mudbra land in the Northern Territory. And we plan to expose that today through this resolution. If Origin can't front up, exactly how they made these agreements, then they should be torn up. Yes. And that's what we'll be arguing. Yes. Holden to an agreement that says we will host thousands of fracked gas wells right across our traditional lands 
In this day and age, when we know that the climate impacts of a single gas field in the Northern Territory will add 6% to Australia's total emissions. Shame. It will entirely blow Australia's remaining carbon budget and put us well out of reach of ever meeting the Paris climate targets if we allow just a single gas field to go ahead in the Northern Territory. It's something most Australians don't know about. People understand the impacts of coal, but they don't understand just how bad fracked gas wells will be. Every part of this dirty and dangerous industry leaks and vents methane. Hello, my name is Bradley Farah. I'm a Aloha man. My, my Aboriginal name is Glargan. I came from a little community up north, Minyeri, Salawa country. But I want to fracking on a land. We don't want white people come and dig our land up. We want to origin come and dig our land up. Because my people, they won't leave their land. They're still living out in the bush. They don't live in the house. They live on the land. They sleep, sleep out in the bush with tent. And they always go out and hunting. They love our land. But want fracking on our land, want to protect our water, our animals, and for our future. And want everybody to do the same. Stand behind us. As one. I came here today to represent my people. Because my people don't know what fracking is. I came to speak on behalf of them. My Alawa people. They don't understand what fracking is. Because they love their land so much, they still sleep out in the bush. And they don't want to leave the land. Doesn't matter the water get terminated. They will still live the land. And live their life on the land. So I want my brothers and sisters to stand up with us today. Stand up with us, make us stronger. And for everybody else, I just want to say thank you, Mo. Because we love our land, water is our life. If you have no water, you'll be on gone. Water is our life, we keep our life. Water is keep, keep our life walking. In our generation, our people, they all passed on now. Then we never have any fuel any gas, any lights in our community. We just have lamp, and we didn't have any fire, uh, like um, cigarette lighter matches. We just had the um, bush way of making fire. Thank you. That's all I can say to you. So we don't need any new gas in this country. We have it in oversupply, we need to go straight to renewables and we can get there without gas in between. So if you are an Origin customer, put your hand up, it's okay, put your hand up because you're very powerful in this campaign. If you're an Origin customer, what you can do is ring Origin and start making complaints and start telling Origin you don't want your house powered by gas from the Northern Territory. We don't need it and we don't want it and the NT is not going to be a sacrifice zone for the fracking industry. 
We know just weeks ago when the NT government put out their no-go zones, they put no-go zones on their big voter bases in the big regional centres like Darwin and Catherine and Alice Springs. It's remote communities that are in the firing line. It's racist, that's the face of racism today in Australia. There's many others, but that's definitely one of them. And we are not going to allow remote Aboriginal communities to be the sacrifice zone for East Coast gas. We don't need it. Dr Kim Liu spoke up for the Doctors for the Environment. They are worried that local women in this remote region will have low birth weight babies if the Beetaloo Basin is fracked for gas. There was a big group of them up on the stage with a huge banner and you can see it's very real to them. For us, it requires an active imagination to take us 600 miles, kilometres south of Darwin to this remote area and imagine tonnes of chemicals and toxic flowback fluid in open ponds stored there if this project goes ahead and imagine that in the wet season and people living there as one of the doctors said even with the heat waves that we're expecting with global warming this area could become intolerable to live in so dr kim lu heat waves increase the risk of heat stroke heart attacks people who have kidney disease are more likely to die heat attacks affects the most vulnerable in our community, the very young and the very old. This cannot be allowed to continue. We know that fracking impacts on pregnant women. Their babies are smaller. They can have their babies, they have earlier deliveries. It can cause fetal impairments. We know that the industry of fracking also causes air pollution, including the motor vehicles, and that increases the risk of respiratory diseases increases the risk of asthma. For human health, we need clean air, clean water. We need healthy soils. We need a stable climate. We need a healthy ecosystem. Fracking, extraction of fossil fuels, climate change impacts on all these determinants of human mental and physical health. If we continue business as usual and continue extracting fossil fuels, the northern part of Australia will become unlivable. There is so only so much the human body and communities can adapt to the changing climate. You need a healthy planet for healthy people. Now we'll hear from the trade unions. The MUA has been stepping up on this uh, climate action mobilisation and they were there in solidarity with the Northern Territory people. Also the construction division of the CF. MEU. We fought and we won against Muckety and all the nuclear waste dump sites in the Territory by building these alliances with traditional owners and communities, unions, health professionals, students who we know are mobilising in tens of thousands of numbers across all the cities. We need people who care, people who organise, people who fight together and that's how we're going to win those jobs and that's how we're going to protect the country and I really invite you all to keep the momentum building, to stop fracking in the NT and anywhere, and move towards those good, safe climate jobs. Construction division, and I just want to say that our union support the First Nations people in their struggle against Origin Energy, and to a broader extent, their struggle against the government for recognition and a say in what goes on in their lives. Yeah. Got a chant for you as well, if you all join in, my brothers up the back know how it goes. One day longer! 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 One day stronger! 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 One day
After this, the traditional owners walked through a guard of honour into the origin meeting. There were over a hundred people in this guard of honour, many I've seen for years coming to meetings year after year, knitting nanas, people from the country who have fought off coal seam gas in many places. And they formed this guard of honour as the traditional owners from the Northern Territory walked into the building. Inside, apparently they grilled the board over the impact of fracking on their land. There were over a dozen traditional owners who spoke up strongly for water protection for country and united communities. They stated that Origin Energy did not have informed consent for its fracking projects from all the relevant native title holders. And here's a quote. One of them said, For you it's a resource to make money. For us it's our spirit. It is our songline, our ceremony, our life. It is our identity for who we are. I later got a message from Seed Mob, uh, Millie Telford and many of the other quite young people who've been just working so hard to bring these people down here to liaise and to keep these communities um, buoyant about the possibility of turning this thing back. The Seed Mob sent us a message and I'm passing it on to you listeners. They said, Origin Energy has around 4 million customers. That means that even if you are not a customer, you are likely to have friends or colleagues who are. Please get them to go to the website of ntseedmob.org.au and sign their pledge, or you can complain directly to Origin Energy. There's also a petition to the Northern Territory Parliament, and you go to haveyoursay.nt.gov.au Um, climate change response. It's not too late. It finishes at the end of October, but you can put in your word having heard this program. So thank you for listening. You're listening to Radio 3CR and the Beyond Zero Emission Show. Now we'll hear from a singer from the Northern Territory, Stuart Nugget. His Aboriginal name is Giriyaga Nguanji. He sings in the Jingali language, which is spoken in Beetaloo and Elliot and country from Daly Waters to Renna Springs. His song is called Nayurni, and it's about love. I am missing you, my love. Far away, you are my woman. You alone, one person, my love, my love in my heart. My heart is breaking, my heart, my heart. I am missing you. Come quickly, my love. You alone, one person, my love, my love in my heart. I am missing you, my love. Far away, you are my woman. I am missing you, my love. Far away, you are my woman. You alone, one person, my love, my love in my heart, in my heart.
Welcome back to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show on Radio 3CR, and my name is Vivian Langford. It's not just the people from remote parts of the Northern Territory who are worried about gas. Alongside citizens from all around Australia, people are horrified that anyone thinks that gas is a transition fuel and that we can go on fracking and mining as if we're still colonising this place. This is the era of restoration and reconciliation, isn't it? So they've lost their social licence and we should make it clear to them. Later that day, I went to the New South Wales Parliament a delegation of farmers from the northwest area of Narrabri had come down to meet politicians and staff. They want Santos Company to scrap its Narrabri coal seam gas proposal because it's environmentally reckless. This area of northwestern New South Wales sits right on top of the Great Artesian Basin. Part of the Northern Territory and Queensland is also above that, and they are terrified that that aquifer could be contaminated by the fracking fluids and by just disturbance. It must be preserved. First I spoke to Anne Kennedy. She's a member of Lock the Gate Alliance and president of the Artesian Bore Users Association. If the gas drilling goes ahead, it absolutely is the end of the Great Artesian Basin. We've got irreparable evidence of the damage it will cause. We have taken that to government for over 10 years. We've taken them the proof, we've taken them the scientists, we've taken the groundwater engineers, all the experts to prove to them that this is going to irreparably damage the greatest water resource Australia has. In my opinion, it's the single greatest asset Australia has. It's the largest, deepest artesian basin in the entire world. It lies under 22% of Australia. And we are the driest inhabited continent in the world. And the fact that in this incredible drought, where people are finally realising the value of water, the fact that the government can put that at risk, the driest inhabited continent on earth, and 4% of Australia is arable farming land. It's a tiny fraction. That's where they're drilling. And... I just cannot believe they talk about drought-proofing Australia, the Prime Minister said, and they're going to build more dams. Why don't they look after the biggest dam in the world, which is under our feet, our Great Artesian Basin? It's because it's out of sight. We need to spend billions more on restoring the Great Artesian Basin, restoring all the dams, capping and piping the free-flowing bores. We're wasting incredible amounts of water, and the water is finite. It's ancient Jurassic water. It is recharging at half a mil a year. That's Bureau of Rural Sciences figures, half a mil. So it's not exactly gushing back in. That's the full recharge across the whole GAB. But in the southern recharge area, under the Pilliga sandstone, is the most critical vital recharge area of the whole GAB because... As Professor Matthew Carroll said in his statement, he did a report for us, and he said you could compare it to the headwaters of a river. It's so fresh and pure, the water that rushes through that sandstone and recharges the southern area of the GAB. That's where they want their 850 gas wells, to fracture it, pollute it, poison it. I'm sorry. I talk too much. Well, no, you don't. And I'm just thinking of David Attenborough. I sort of feel we need David Attenborough here with one of his infrared cameras going down there and saying, oh, the 
great artesian basin and make it a wonder of the world because we, we're so ignorant about it. I mean, I'm ignorant about it. I'm hoping the listeners will agree with me that we are, in general, rather ignorant of it. Tell us a bit more about it as a, one of these wonders of the world. Well, actually, Drew Hutton, our past president of Lock the Gate Alliance, he tried to get it listed as a national treasure because it is so vital, and he said he couldn't. No one was interested because it's under our feet. They couldn't see it. Yeah. With David Attenborough and the Great Barrier Reef, it's, it's wonderful what he's doing, but it's not as critical to me as the GAB, but it's visible. Tourists go there so he can get it highlighted. People don't know. This is the greatest resource in the whole of the world, I believe. It, the, the water's Jurassic. It's millions of years old, but it's what we've got is what we've got. How can they allow the coal seam gas industry to fracture, pollute and poison this precious, precious resource. What's Australia going to do without water? Well, I mean, there's people in England talking about Extinction Rebellion because they import, uh, I think, 60% of their food and they're suddenly seeing the writing on the wall very clearly at that level of farming, food, bees... Gosh, you know, extinction. Uh, So that's what you're talking about here, extinction of farming, aren't you? Well, look, I'm concerned about this other thing of climate change. It's also an unseen area. The atmosphere is not something we really think about much. It's above us. And the gas from that, if they would drill for gas there and they export it and exploit it, that will end up causing more erratic and dramatic weather for farmers here, but also in Kiribati, also everywhere, you know, in the world. That that global warming is global. So is the climate impact of... Is this a sort of winning reason for the people you know? And um, for the members of your association, it's focused here on water, but are your members sort of... Um, also interested in the climate impact. Do they say that when they meet ministers, for example? You know, you shouldn't exploit this gas because also of the climate impact. Is that, is that a winning argument? I don't know if it's a winning argument, but it's a very genuine one because now they have these FLIR cameras, they call them, and they can actually film the emissions coming up from the ground and everywhere in Queensland. Sadly, we're learning all our evidence from the damage that's being done to the Darling Downs in Queensland, and it's enormous. And you can see the gas coming up through the ground. You can throw a leaf, a match on the ground, and it'll catch fire because of the gas emitting, and it's in the air. You can, I can send you footage of the cameras that have just filmed this <coughs> gas. Now, that's methane, you know. Well... <laughs> Hello. Sorry, stop. I've got to kiss him. We've just got the local member from this great artesian basin area. What's your name? Roy Butler. Um, yeah, in the seat of Barwon. So, greater, 44% of the state. But, yeah, the great artesian basin sitting under 22% of our country, a lot of that is in the Barwon electorate, um, extending down from the Queensland border uh, all the way down to uh, most of the way through my electorate. So um, I live above the great artesian basin as well. What, what's the hope in Parliament to do something about that? Is it just a state issue? Um, look, it's, it's actually, it could potentially be a, a, a national issue. It could, it could cause a national crisis because if we have drought in other parts of our state and the water that uh, sits in the Great Artesian Basin is not accessible or is not safe to use, then we have no production in these areas, not to mention people can't live in our towns um, because at the moment they're totally reliant on groundwater uh, to stay in those towns. So uh, they, no one can articulate to us the risk to groundwater they say the risk is very low but no matter how low the risk if groundwater can be compromised it's just not worth doing 
Better safe than sorry. Absolutely. Well, people talk to me about jobs and, and economic growth from, from gas and the, the reality is it doesn't matter how many jobs or how much money and I don't know that it's actually as much as people say but all the jobs in the world aren't going to do you any good if there's no water to use. Is that what you're up against in the Parliament? Is that political thing always about jobs and um, short-term profit? Look, I don't, want to, um, I don't want to think the worst of people and think that there's all sorts of nasty things going on behind the scenes. What I would say is that it's important for any person that's making decisions about uh, um, gas, gas ex- exploration and where it involves ground and surface water needs to tread very carefully because they don't want to be on the wrong side of history. We were just talking about fire and Anne just sparked up at that because I've, I don't hear many people say, well, also putting a gas field in an area that's already drought prone and it's, it's a fire risk. How is that not sort of winning through to people now that we are really slightly worried about fire? Look, we've asked several questions through the question on notice mechanism in Parliament about flaring um, and we've had lots of good advice come from the community about uh, the sorts of questions that we need to be asking um, because there's a lot of passionate people out there who have invested a lot of time, a lot of time in understanding and knowing the risks not only around water but also around fire. So the flaring is something that is of concern to us uh, in the forests and that's where the gas is flared off through chimneys because they are large plumes of flame uh, and it is extremely dry at the moment. So uh, again, it's the same sort of thing with the water why would you want to introduce a a large naked flame to an area of extremely dry timber it's just none of this makes sense uh, to to people in the west and to people in regional areas where they know water is so important and in dry times they know fire is such a risk so it's it's something that uh, certainly from my party's perspective I'm with the Shooters Fishers Farmers Party we've pushed for a moratorium um, and certainly the uh, 16 recommendations of the chief scientist Professor Mary O'Kane are something that we don't believe have been fully implemented so um, uh, we wouldn't support anything that places ground or surface water at risk and that's any kind of extractive activity so whether it be gas or something else and that's that's our party's position because we do have a grasp of just how important water is. I think city listeners, I represent Melbourne listeners and if this was on a city radio station they would all say well oh why didn't anyone tell us about this we didn't know. Yeah, I think that's right. And look, other states have taken steps to um, ban all uh, onshore gas. Uh, and I think that makes sense, especially if we can't understand fully the risks, uh, then why would we go headlong into something where the, the consequences could be far worse than any gain that we would get economically? Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. This is why he's going to be the future Prime Minister of Australia, obviously. Well, there we are. He's our leader. <laughs> Thank you. We're at Parliament House in New South Wales. I think you couldn't find two groups of people more different than the traditional owners from the Northern Territory who went to Origin Energy's AGM this morning and these large landholders and defenders of the Great Artesian Basin in northern New South Wales. As you heard, they can get on the phone to Santos. They're on very friendly terms with the politicians. But the riveting thing is that both groups love our country and have been forced by the threat of fracking to mount every argument they can to stop new gas wells opening up. Before the last election, I wasn't surprised that the government wanted to open up new coal and gas, but the Labour Party too was offering $1.4 billion to pipe coal seam gas out of the Territory. So this is the new frontier for us to take climate action. Both parties need to come around to the idea that there's no social licence for any of this anymore. It's damaging to the climate from our point of view, but as you see for these local people, it's very damaging to the water and it's very damaging to the health of anybody living near the gas wells. As I said before, you can speak to your Member of Parliament 
armed with the Beyond Zero Emissions Alternative. It's a report and you can have that in your hot little hand or send it to your Member of Parliament. It's called Repowering the Northern Territory, the 10 Gigawatt Vision, How Renewable Energy Can Power Jobs and Investment in the Northern Territory. But now let's get back to Anne Kennedy. She's president of the Artesian Borewaters Users Association. She's with Lock the Gate Alliance and she's a protector of the Great Artesian Basin. I wanted to learn more about the fire risk of gas flares in the Pilliga Forest. If it was a teenage boy, you'd call it arson, wouldn't you? You see this in this very dried out landscape. Drought has been going on for years and the future doesn't look good. Rainfall pattern there. So I asked Anne, how come this is allowed? Well, the Pilliga gas project has constantly burning massive flares, metres high. During the big fires many years ago, there were huge fires around that whole Warrumbungle area. The Pilliga is the largest temperate woodland left in eastern Australia. It's huge and it's vital. It's vital koala habitat and a lot of other species. When the total, total fire ban was on and we were looking, here's this massive gas flare right in among all these trees. One leaf needs to blow across it and it would go up. So I rang the fire, head fire brigade people, whoever they are, in Sydney, and I just said, why in a total fire ban are they still allowed to burn, vent this gas flare, which is a roaring flame? And... He said, oh, I'll put the head charang on and went away, came back and they said, oh, they can't shut it down or it would explode. And I thought, well, that's a fabulous industry to have in the middle of a forest, isn't it? A gas whirls that will explode or a fire. Anyway, then we got on to Santos and we said, what is your fire policy? Every company must have a fire risk policy. They hummed the hard. They took a long time to get back to us. Finally, we found out it was leave. We tell all our personnel and everyone to leave if there's a fire. So the volunteer bushfire brigade, people who don't believe in the gas project and don't want it, have to go in and fight this fire for them. The other thing I'm extremely concerned about is the lack of insurance. I was approached by an international insurance broker at an Aaron Brockovich lecture I was at at (laughs) Sydney Uni many years ago. And he asked a lot of questions about it too. We met in the foyer afterwards and he said, I'm an international insurance broker and you do realise, don't you, nowhere in the world can you get an insurance policy, not just Australia, nowhere in the world, to cover you for the risks from coal seam gas mining, damage to water, to health, to anything. You cannot get cover for it. He said they will insure insurance companies are the biggest risk takers in the world he said they'll ensure your own death which is pretty inevitable but he said if they won't give an insurance policy at whatever the price he said it's not a risk it's a certainty now that came from a top top insurance broker and he said it is inevitable it's not a risk it's inevitable if they won't insure it so why is our government, I must ask, why are they prepared to take the risk with our lives, our water, our industries, our agriculture, our communities? Why are they prepared to take the risk when no insurance company will? That's right. This morning I went to a rally with people from the Northern Territory who had come down in a similar position, Beetaloo Basin, and the doctors for the environment got up and they said the same thing. 
they said just local impacts, not forget about climate change, which is the biggest impact, but, yes. you know, the local impact on mothers. They have low birth weight babies all yes. around. In America, they've got research, medical research on low birth weight babies and a lot of um, illness, asthma and other illness associated with living near a gas field. Have you seen, so, actually, there's new footage I've just seen on Facebook, a big report they released that they have actually, now they can do all these scans before they're born and they've actually found the emissions out inside the placenta of the mother, the fetal placenta before the birth. While the babies are still there, they've got all these pollutants coming in there. That's huge. Thank you for your work. You're you know, obviously a mother and a grandmother, so you get it, don't you? Mother of 13 and I think there's going to be enough food and water for me. We're all fighting for the future. The future generations, what are they going to look for? Yes, thank you. So that was Anne Kennedy, Kennedy from the Northwest Alliance and the Great Artesian Basin Association. Yes, yes, and Artesian Bore Water Users Alliance. We've got a whole lot of collars we wear. Yes. Has your organisation been interviewed on 3CR? Your band played live to air. Have you heard your latest song? Groups like yours can now become 3CR organisational subscribers. Just $110 gets your organisational group behind Melbourne's longest-running activist radio station. 3CR gives access and training to communities traditionally denied a voice in the mainstream media. Get online at 3cr.org.au or call 9419 and become an organisational subscriber. Show, Show your, your love, love 3CR. 3CR. Bruce Robertson spoke to us in Parliament House uh, to an audience of parliamentarians and citizens. He had a droll tone and, uh, you know, his story is very dry, economic analysis, but it's really about policy failure. And he said that it was absurd and also that he felt it was all abhorrent what has happened. Some facts I picked up were that to cool gas for LNG export, you know, up in Gladstone, they're exporting a lot of our gas as um, liquid. You use 9% of the gas to freeze it down to minus 160 degrees centigrade. And on top of that, the fuel is needed to take it overseas and then to import it back here. And I think, does that make any climate sense? It's horrendous, the thought of all of that carbon expense and just import our own gas back here. That's why he said it was absurd. The second thing I learned was that the exorbitant cost of gas in Australia has damaged manufacturing in a very big way. So Santos opening up a new gas field up at Narrabri would not be paying for the damage to our climate or the damage to our precious aquifers or damage to our local industries and jobs. Here's Bruce Robertson from IEFA. If you live in Australia, you know, gas prices are very high here. If you live anywhere else in the world, they're very low. That's the first point to make. It's a pretty simple point. Uh, we are facing a global gas glut. Demand for gas is falling in Australia, which I'll run through, which is also contrary to what many people have you believe. It's falling pretty dramatically, uh, especially demand from the industrial sector, which is particularly worrying, and that will accelerate in the near term with the closures we've already seen this year. 
gas sets the price for electricity in the market. Uh, I think that a lot of people don't really fully understand that. The import terminal debacle, I think I could call it, that we're seeing, uh, where we're going to import gas into Australia's, which is going to be the world's largest exporter of gas. It still does my head in when I say this, because it should do your head in. It is an absurdity. The only reason it can occur is because gas prices are so horrifically high here. And if you don't believe me, perhaps you might like to believe ExxonMobil, Mitsubishi, Jira, Marubeni, Cogas, Epic. They're the proponents behind these import terminals. These are international bulge bracket players in the LNG industry. They have seen that Australia is the highest price market in the world and that's why they're all rushing to produce import terminals here. The situation has become so absurd, it's hard uh, not to get a little bit upset about it. Gas prices are amongst the highest on the globe. Prior to 2014, we used to pay $3 to $4 a gigajoule for gas, and that had been in place for a very, very long time. Once these LNG terminals were built up at Gladstone, we saw prices shoot up to $21. About $6.30 a gigajoule in Asia at the moment. You know, you can pay uh, about nine fifty today in Sydney, and I did say that right. 9.50 today in Sydney, 6.30 in Asia. For Australian gas, we basically uh, are paying about 81% more than we should for gas, according to the ACCC. Not according to Bruce Robertson, according to the ACCC that was commissioned by the federal government to look into gas prices, they came up with the figure, not me, not me, the ACCC, and we are paying 81% more than that figure today in Sydney. We are seeing demand destruction caused by high gas prices in Australia. And that means businesses going broke. That means electricity prices being very high. That means people being out of work. Industrial gas demand has fallen 14% since 2014. 14%. That's jobs going offshore for products that should be manufactured here. Now, for those people who have an extreme green bent in the room, and I don't know if there are any, but if you do happen to have an extreme green bent, just think about this. This means liquefying gas, which means burning 9% of the gas to get it up to Asia. It means producing a product in Asia. It means shipping it back here. It means fuel being burnt here, burnt there. The three LNG plants at Gladstone use about 2% of the electricity in the national electricity market. 2% by themselves. It's an extremely energy-intensive process, and it really isn't green, manufacturing in China and re-importing back here. We should be manufacturing here and having the jobs here. I, um, I'm pretty uh, much of the opinion that we only get one chance at any natural resource. Once this thing's corrupted, we are gone forever. It's not like we can fix it, so... We need to keep that in mind if anything we do, and given we are the driest inhabited continent, we have to preserve our only and secure uh, natural resource being the Great Artesian Basin. I'd like to introduce Alistair Davey to come up. Uh, Alistair's from Pegasus Economics, and he's the author of the new report, which you'll all be briefed on. In its 2009 environmental impact statement for the Gladstone LNG project, Santos Said, th said three things of note. Firstly, that it would not divert gas from local markets to export markets. The gas would come from newly developed coal seam gas fields and acreage owned by the Gladstone LNG project, and it was 
unlikely to contribute to future, sh future shortages of gas in the domestic market. As a matter of fact, the Gladstone LNG project has actually diverted gas from local markets to ex export markets as it's entered into a number of third-party supply agreements, has reneged on two of the three commitments it provided in its, in its environmental impact statement and is well on the way to reneging on the third that it won't be contributing to any looming future domestic gas shortages. While the Narrabri gas project will provide additional gas supply for New South Wales, contributing around about a third of current demand, it does not provide a complete solution to the looming gas shortage, largely of Santos's own making. David Chadwick is from Canambal. He told us about his um, massive solar system on his farm and the extent of his beef producing business. It sounded very, not very large. And he's also extremely concerned about the great artesian water resource. He introduces Margaret Fleck here, who is a landholder in the Northwest Alliance, and she's been against coal seam gas for some time. She said, Santos has ignored or rejected requests from Narrabri Council and the local rural fire service. We've asked them to limit the risks of the proposed gas project. And when I say fire service, you can imagine flaring gas, venting methane gas above ground in a forest like the Pilliga Forest. What a fire risk that is. And quite a few of the speakers have told us about that. There are also 11 uh, zombie petroleum licenses waiting to get resurrected if Santos gets approval. She calls on the nationals to extinguish these zombie licenses as apparently they have promised. I'd never heard of zombie licenses, but apparently that's something that lies dormant there. And, you know, ever onwards, if you haven't heard of climate change, you might think that's a good possibility to invest in. Not. We went and put in a solar system that produces 122% of our power needs in order to drop our power bill. The interesting thing is the energy prices went up. We still pay $74,000 a year in energy costs, despite the fact that we overproduce what we use and we are just in the process of moving to batteries. So um, that technology has become so efficient now. It was 14-year payback. It's now uh, six-year payback. Um, so it's now economical to use it. And that's evidenced by one of the only last and remaining um, manufacturing sectors left in Australia, which is the processing sector. And you've got, at big business level, Tees Australia uh, announcing $43 million investment in renewable energy, and JBS, who are already fully on their way to uh, bioenergy and renewables through solar. So we've obviously can see these predictions that Bruce made are already coming into play now. If I could uh, introduce Margaret Fleck to the podium, please. So the drought, this exacerbated by climate change, has seen previously held records for maximum temperatures and rainfall deficits fall and fall again. We are witnessing an unprecedented drying of our environment. So in the northwest, and I'll speak about the Liverpool Plains because that's where I live, it's renowned for its capacity for planting of both summer and winter crops. In the millennium drought, roughly 20 years ago, some of these dryland crop farms missed a crop. Today, many have now had five successive failed crops or had no crop at all for two and a half years. 
and it's looking very much like there'll be none this summer, a sixth in the row. Farmer conversations have changed from when is the drought going to end to where are we going to end up. They're no longer confident they're going to survive the drought. The Great Artesian Basin is Australia's largest groundwater basin. It underlies 22% of the nation and is a significant part of the northwest of New South Wales. About 15%, mainly around the eastern margin, it's regarded as the recharge areas. And of these 15%, about a fifth has a capacity for high rates of intake. One of these is a southern recharge. Above where Santos proposes to drill, its initial 850 wells for gas production and removing billions of litres of groundwater. The worst impacts on highly productive aquifers are expected to occur after the gas field has ceased to operate. This means that all the risk is shifted away from Santos and onto the future water users and the public. A groundwater expert applied spill rates based on tens of thousands of gas wells across the United States and estimated that the 15 to 130 spills of wastewater could be expected to occur in association with the Narrabri gas project if the planned 850 wells are drilled. However, <coughs> just simply during the exploration and appraisal activities of Santos, there have already been 20 spills and leaks. And these have come from all parts of the operation, evaporation ponds, pipelines, wastewater treatment facilities, as well as at well sites. So we talked economics, and I hope I've given you an outline of the environment. Now I'd like to talk about social licence. There is no social licence for the Narrabri gas project in northwest, just as there was no social licence for Gasco on the northern rivers. As an example, over the last six years, 106 communities covering an area of 3.2 million hectares in the northwest have declared themselves gas field free. The communities are supported by their local government areas with seven government local councils passing motions objecting to coal seam gas exploration, mining and associated infrastructure. These councils, Moree Plains, Walgett, Warren Bungles, Coonamble, Gilgandra and Warren cover an area of 8.57 million hectares with a number of surrounding councils also expressing concern. Coal seam gas licences were bought back or cancelled in the designated special areas of Greater Sydney's drinking water catchments. They were bought back or cancelled in the Hunty Wine region and the Northern Rivers. The only place still under threat is the northwest, which produces beef, cereal, fibre, and where the ancient water resources that support the lives and livelihoods of 200,000 people are recharged in the Pilliga Forest. You took a water sample and uh, it was found to be 20 times over the legal limit of uranium. And that's from an industry that is self-regulated and self-reporting. So the frustration out in the West is that it's not our duty or our job to have to bring these people to account. And that's what we're doing in Sydney because the decision-makers live here. They're the people that can do something about this. We need to consider opportunity costs as we recklessly run towards prostituting our only reserve of water that we have. We need to look over our shoulder and see the history of the industry and realise that it's a cartel and it's possibly single-handedly trashed the manufacturing sector in Australia. So more gas does not necessarily give us a different outcome down the track. Moving forward, 
we in rural Australia understand succession planning, we have a vision and a future, and without water, no one lives out there, let alone produces food, and little businesses like mine that produce 100,000 servings of beef per day, 365 days of the year, and the consequential jobs that come from that sort of business won't exist. So the debate is quite simple. It's food versus fuel. Thank you very much for your attendance and uh, hopefully the decision makers within these great halls can uh, see the forest from the trees. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show. Thank you to Andy and Michaela at 3CR and Salut Babette. Our guests tonight were Ray Dixon, Bradley Farrer and Naomi Wilford from the Northern Territory. The MUA and CFMEU Construction Division were there, the Doctors for the Environment, Seed Mob and Lock the Gate Alliance, who believed that bringing the real people from the front line, where we put the brakes on climate catastrophe by deterring new gas wells from Origin and Santos, are our friends. Thank you to Anne Kennedy from the Artesian Bore Users Association and their MP, Roy Butler. Thanks to David Chadwick, who introduced the farmers to Parliament. He represents the Great Artesian Basin Protectors. Thanks to Margaret Fleck from Northwest Alliance and Dr Alastair Davy from Pegasus Economics and Bruce Robertson from the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis. I was very moved to meet all these people from Beetaloo Basin and the land above the Great Artesian Basin. They came a long way to talk to you. As Naomi Klein said in her recent book On Fire, in the rocky future we have already made inevitable an unshakable belief in the equal rights of all people and a capacity for deep empathy will be the only thing standing between humanity and barbarism. I felt that both groups were protecting parts of this country that are hardly known to me. The Northern Territory people kept saying how beautiful it is up there and the Narrabri people couldn't tell us enough about how the Great Artesian Basin should be a national treasure. I hope they have moved you too. For action, check out the Northern Territory Seed Mob and the Northern Territory Government Have Your Say, where you can comment on what you've heard tonight. Also, Lock the Gate Alliance. They campaign all the time and they need your support. I'm appealing to you because you are city listeners and these people are living in very remote areas. How can they organise a great crowd? We are the crowd in our big cities. I think that we have lost so much time on weak climate policies and political stalling that now industrialised countries need to start cutting emissions by about 10% a year. Well, that's according to the Tyndall Centre for Climate Change Research. 10% annually. Well, that's what they saw in the USA after the 1929 crash. So how to manage such drastic cuts without crashing the economy, should be exercising all our minds. But from what you've heard tonight, how much sense does it make then to open up new gas fields and new coal mines? We'd be very happy to hear your ideas at radioteam at bzd.org.au. You can email us there or phone us at 3CR, which is 9419 
8377. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck. i